Uh, let's go ahead and open up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. You can turn there with me. We're reading from verse 21 to verse 40. Luke chapter 2, 21 to 40. Here's what it says. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until uh, she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... um, we praise you, God, as we stand on the, the very beginning of a brand new year today. Um, we stop and say that, Jesus, you are Lord. Uh, you are the God of our lives, and you are the, the author and finisher of our faith, God. And we uh, want to be like Simeon, Lord, uh, waiting in great expectation for what you're going to do this year. Lord, I pray right now that you would um, anoint my lips, God, that... Um, I just confess I need you more than ever today, God, um, for you to, to breathe life and your word into your people today. Um, Lord, I, uh, I just humbly give you um, today this sermon, Lord, and that your word would come alive to us. Lord, give us uh, the hope for 2012. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the last few weeks, we have been um, studying the advent, right, the, the breaking in of God into our world. And uh, we, we, we looked at the promise uh, given to Mary and, and her conception and then the arrival of Christ. And now we're looking this, uh, in this passage, Christ has been uh, alive for eight days on earth and he's brought into the temple. And so we are going to focus as we close the advent on what is our future in Christ. Uh, we were given a, a, a promise and then an arrival, and now we look at what does the future hold for us uh, now that Christ has arrived. In the year 1860, Charles Dickens, he wrote a, a book, published a book, about an orphan boy named Pip. And um, uh, obviously Pip, Pip's parents had died. He was being raised by family in uh, rural parts of England. He was being apprenticed and brought up by his uncle. And they lived in relative poverty. It was a, poverty. It was a hard life. And then one day, a lawyer shows up to Pip's, uh, Pip's uncle's workshop. And uh, this is something maybe we all have dreamed about at one point or another. This lawyer shows up and says, guess what? Congratulations, uh, there's a great benefactor who has left you a huge fortune. And I am to take you now. Let me, let me read the quote. This is what it says in Dickens' book, uh, Great Expectations. It says, um, I am instructed to communicate to him, to Pip, that he be immediately removed from his present sphere of life and from this place and be brought up as a gentleman, in a word, as a young fellow of great expectations. And so begins for Pip this, this life journey now. He's been given a promise. Uh, he's taken out of his circumstances and all the things he ever hoped for, all the things he ever dreamed for, uh, to be wealthy, to be in high society uh, in England, to, to be able to marry his true love, which he never thought could happen in his circumstances with his family. Now maybe that's a possibility. This whole life of great expectation opens up for Pip, and I'll let you read uh, the book to see how that all turns out for him. But I want us to think about, as we stand on the first day of this year, what are our expectations for 2012 and beyond? Where is our hope lying? See, Pip was in a circumstance, and then a promise was given, and it opened up these expectations, these hopes in his heart. And, and I want to ask you, where are you at as you sit on, on January 1st right now? Where are you at looking at this year? This is a day when we set a bunch of goals, right? Uh, last night you went to bed thinking, okay, tomorrow uh, I'm going to do some radical stuff. I'm going to stop drinking so much coffee. Uh, I'm going to wipe sugar out of my diet completely. Like, it's just crazy insanity uh, talk. You know, no, who does that? No one does that. It's not realistic. <laughs> we go to bed with these, these goals, right? But I, I want to change our thought from thinking about goals on January 1st to thinking about expectations, and here's the difference. A goal is a result, an achievement that we put our effort into reaching. Uh, we work it out in ourselves to, to get to this result or this goal. Goals are, are self-focused. They're self-controlled. They're self-motivated. Uh, goals are really self-driven. Expectations, though, are something that we look forward to. That we believe this is going to happen. I am waiting in expectation for this thing to manifest itself. There's a difference. And I know just even the idea 
of, uh, of telling you to think about God, ex- expecting that God is going to do something for you can be challenging. I know it. Because we live in a world of broken promises. We live in a world of hopes that have been dashed, shattered, dreams that have been lost. But I want to encourage you today by the lives of four people that we just read about. Today we're going to look at the humility of Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at the faith of Simeon. We're going to look at the joy of Anna. And finally, the promise of Jesus. The first two people in this story, Mary and Joseph, they were given a promise individually, right? Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to conceive, not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit. And then uh, he go, the angel comes to Joseph and he says, yes, this is going to be your wife. You, you need to marry her and, and follow through. The Lord will be with you. And I just want us to stop for a second and think what this must have been for these two people to die to themselves. There's a death that happens in Mary and Joseph when, when they agree to follow the Lord. There's a humility that they lay down their life and say, this makes no sense. This is going to make a, a train wreck of our lives. I, I, we have expectations in our life of, of what we want to accomplish and all that, that we can have. And you're going to do this? This changes everything. But there's a beauty about Mary and Joseph. When, when they go into the temple, they're so poor They can't even afford a lamb to give as a sacrifice. They have to to purchase two pigeons. And I know as a dad of three kids, we just came out of Christmas, and my kids want all this stuff. I mean, stinking toy companies come up with new things every year, and it's like, I can't keep up, man. I just bought the thing last year, and, and, and there's these great hopes that our kids want, and there's no way I can afford all of it. And it breaks your heart as a parent, and I can just imagine Mary and Joseph, they've had this miracle happen. This is now manifested in their arms, the Savior of the world And I can't even afford the right sacrifice for him. I'm just going to, this is all I got. There's a humility that God just absolutely loves. And that's why he chooses Mary and Joseph. They're willing to lay down and die to themselves to follow through with what God wants to do in their life. And the whole time, this, this young couple, they're just holding on to a promise the promise given of all that God was going to do. They're waiting in expectation for what God has promised to do in their faith-filled lives. And then Simeon declares this prophetic word over Jesus. And here's how we know that Mary and Joseph are, are humble. Because it says, it says that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about him. Listen, angels had spoken to them. Uh, She's conceived a son, uh, not from a man. Um, The shepherds came declaring that this host of angels showed up and they're telling everyone. And yet even now in the temple as they're eight days from that birth, they marvel, God, you're gonna do this. You're doing this. This is unbelievable. It's confirmed again. Your promises are real. So humble. It's just so beautiful. The posture Of Mary and Joseph. And then there's a man named Simeon, who Luke describes as a righteous and devout man. And listen, this was not 
in a time of, of spiritual strength for Israel. Actually, the commentator, J.C. Ryle, he says there, there was a great spiritual darkness in Israel at this time. Uh, this, this is what he says. He says that the faith of Abraham was spoiled by the doctrine of Pharisees and Sadducees. The fine gold had become deplorably dim. And yet, even then, we find in the midst of Jerusalem a man just and devout, a man upon whom is the Holy Ghost. And here's what, here's what Ryle is saying. He's saying that the faith of the nation of Israel, rooted in Abraham with all of these promises, believing that God was going to do all these things for Israel, that faith muscle had become weak. It, it was not being worked out. And instead, when, this is what happens. When we lose faith, we begin to trust in doctrine, in, in, in things that we can control. Because doctrine, remember, hear this, doctrine is, uh, is man-focused, uh, 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 and it is man-controlled. It is everything that we can do in our self-righteousness to make ourselves better for God, and it's worthless. Okay, it's worthless. And that is where... Israel was. Their faith was diminished. Their love of doctrine was increased, and they were out of whack. It was dark. But even greater than that, Ryle also says that the hope in Israel had faded. There was a hope for generation after generation after generation that a Messiah was coming. Someone was coming to deliver us. And that hope had just gotten darker, faded and faded and faded, but there was a man. There was a man whose faith wasn't shaken, whose hope was alive. He was a remnant left over from past generations. And if you're a believer in Christ today, this should be an encouragement to you. Simeon was righteous, he was just and devout in his relationship with the Lord, not because he was in a thriving spiritual community, but in spite of spiritual darkness all around him. And let's be honest, we live in a city that people would say is spiritually dark, even godless and oppressed. But hear me, I'm here to bear witness, and you can bear witness with me that God is alive in San Francisco, Amen. Okay, Tark was praying. He's naming off church after church after church that there are believing people, people of faith in this city, a remnant held over that believe God has a plan for this city. He is going to do things in this city. We have not seen the end, but only the beginning. And this is what God does. He, he, because Simeon is living this life of faith, never faltering, God, through the Holy Spirit, he imparts into Simeon a promise, an incredible promise. He says, Simeon, because you love me and you trust in me, listen, you will not die before you see the living Christ. You see the Christ, the Messiah. Can there be, there could not be a greater promise given to anyone at this point, a person of faith in this point of history generations after generations, hundreds of years had waited for the Messiah. And God says, Simeon, you will see him. And he never loses faith. He never doubts that. 
and contrast that. So Simeon's hope is in the Lord that this promise will come true. Contrast that with, with what's happening around him. The Jews wanted power. They wanted to overthrow a Roman government. They wanted a military messiah that would uh, revolutionize, uh, send a revolution and, and take power back. And, and the Romans, they wanted wealth and they wanted world domination to expand their worldly kingdom. The Greeks wanted wisdom and knowledge. But Simeon, all Simeon wanted was to lay his eyes on the living Messiah. And he trusted every day he got up. He believed in expectation that promise was going to come true. Let that be a reminder to us. If today you sit on January 1st looking at 2012 and, and you're hoping for a promotion at work or you're hoping to shed a few pounds or you're hoping to get into a, some kind of relationship, listen, those things not, are not necessarily bad, but come on. Set the bar higher than that. Let's be a church of great expectation. Those things are fleeting and they will fail. Let's not put our hope in the kingdom of the world, but in the kingdom of God. So Simeon receives this promise by the Holy Spirit and then he waits and he waits and he waits. Was it days? Was it months? Was it decades? We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. But what the scripture does tell us is he never falters. He stays uh, devout and faithful to the Lord throughout his waiting. So you can imagine through this waiting time, hanging on to this promise, what it must have been like when Mary walks in (laughs) with this baby and the spirit says, that's the one. That's the one. This is what you've been waiting for. And then Mary walks to Simeon, and he, and he holds that baby in his hands, and he just begins to praise God. And, and he sings a, a hymn that's called the, the Nunc Dominitus. It is, uh, I, you can dismiss me, God. You can send me on to the, the other world. I can die a happy man. Your promise has been fulfilled. This is what I've been waiting for, and you came through. Can that be an encouragement to us? We don't know how long he waited. And, and listen, throughout the Bible, uh, as we go through Genesis, we're going to hear about Abraham who was promised a son and waited 25 years for that son uh, to, to come about. The, if you read on it in God's word, David, King David, was anointed king in his early teens, maybe 13 years old. He doesn't become king until he's into his 30s, 17, 18 years later. But we hang on to the promises of God. And listen, church, if God has spoken a promise to you personally about people in your family that that are going to get saved, about things he's going to use you to do in your life, and you've been waiting and waiting, don't be like Israel. Don't let your hope begin to dim. Don't lose faith. But come into his temple just believing God is faithful. He is who he says he is. He will do what he says he's going to do. Let's be a great church, a church of great expectation. And lastly, there's a woman, a prophetess named Anna. Luke tells us that that Anna had sorrow as a widow, but she wasn't bitter. That that she knew old age, they, they say she was around 103 years old at this point, but she was full of life. So we can ask ourselves, how is this? How's that happen? 
How can someone be a widow? This, being a widow in this time, there was not life insurance policy that she was living off of and uh, amazing social security programs that um, would go on in perpetuity. Um, no, she was living by faith. It said she never left the temple. She came continually worshiping, prayer, and fasting in her life. How can she have this posture with, with all that she'd been through? She'd been a widow for a long, long time. Here's the deal. If we believe, if you believe that God is a tyrant, that, that he's in heaven throwing fireballs uh, down at you to, to watch you dance and, and to see how you're going to handle this and, uh, and, and put these obstacles in your way, if you think that's who God is, then, yeah, you're going to be bitter. You're going to be bitter. You can't help it. But if you believe in an all-loving father, a heavenly father, who, who not only does he care for you, he decides he's not going to stay on his heavenly throne. He's going to get down here in the dirt and muck with you. He's going to walk with you through your trials. Not only that, he's going to take curses and he's going to turn them into blessings for you. That he's going to turn sorrow into dancing for you. That he's going to take death and bring new life out for you. If you believe that that's who God is, then you can take sorrow and have joy. You can go into long age and life and be filled with, uh, with youth, with hope. Finally, we, we look at the promises of Jesus. In the middle of this text, Simeon delivers a, a prophetic hymn. He speaks out over, over Jesus and to Mary. And here's what he says. This little eight-day-old baby, he says, this child will be, he will be the light to the Gentiles, that he will bring glory to Israel that he's appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. That he will be a sign that is a, a opposed so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. First he says that, that Jesus will be a light to Gentiles. And, and think about this, that, that the entire world outside of Israel had no concept or understanding of Messiah, that, that God was coming down. And, and Jesus goes through, through his entire ministry. He goes from place to place, speaking not only to, to Israelites, to Jews, but he's speaking to Gentiles. And he's saying, some of these Gentiles have greater faith than you, Israel, who knew I was coming. He, he brings Gentiles out of darkness, us, a lot of us, out of darkness into light. He also is, uh, he brings glory to Israel for every Israelite, like Simeon and like Anna, who were believing, hoping, praying uh, that, that the Messiah was coming. And they look at Jesus and they watch the footsteps of his life and see he fulfills every prophecy of the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He does everything the Messiah was going to do. He becomes the glory of Israel now. It says he's appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And he, listen, he's appointed for the fall and rising of many here in San Francisco and in our church. God, this is what Jesus does. He takes, um, if you go to, to 
uh, business school, that they'll show you this hierarchy of leadership, that, that there are, are levels that you start down here at the bottom and, and then you advance slowly and, and you're standing on the people below you for your advancement until you can finally reach the pinnacle of this triangle and you will be superior to everyone below you. They will be serving you and you will be dictating the course of their career below you. And this is how it was in Israel. There there were Pharisees. There were religious leaders who stood on top. And Jesus said, you weigh people down. You weigh people down with this doctrine, with these do's and don'ts. And you never lift a hand. But Jesus comes in and he takes that triangle and he turns it upside down. He says, I will go to the bottom. I will be the lowest. And those who are low, they will be lifted up. And they will get new hope, and they will have a full life in me. And, and, and he brings down that leadership system. The, the, the ones on top begin to fall, and the ones on bottom, they begin to be lifted up. And lastly, in Simeon's prophecy, he says, Jesus will be a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And this, as we're closing now, this is what I want us to think about. This little baby, eight days old, completely vulnerable, defenseless. He arrives and, and he sets a fork in the road of our life. And says, you have to decide what you're going to do with me. I, I'm coming opposed to this kingdom of the world. And, and so for us, Reality Church, listen to me. For you today, you have a fork in the road and you have to decide, will you go with Christ or will you go the other direction? There is no middle lane. Is Christ, is he who he says he he was? He, He doesn't make any bones about it, all right? He doesn't come to coexist. That's not what he came to do. He came and he said simply, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And then he leaves the choice to you. Is he just a really good man who had a lot of really good philosophical ways uh, of teaching the people, uh, who was peaceful and and just a lover of, uh, of his children? Is that who he was? Or was he God on earth, came for our salvation, our only hope of glory that we put all of our faith and trust in, and we die to ourselves and follow him? It's one or the other. There's no middle lane. So in closing, this this is my challenge to us as a church. In 2012 and, and way beyond, that we would be humble like Mary and Joseph. I don't know what you have uh, to give. I don't know uh, what gifts God has given you. I don't know where you're at. But God says if you will lay down whatever it is you have, I will do great things with you. I will take you to places you never could have thought. Can we be faithful like Simeon? There are hundreds of promises in this book. There are hundreds of promises for you. Will we believe that those promises are true? Will we wake up every day? I'll never forget Francis Chan standing on this stage. He said, as a follower of Christ, no day should be ordinary. 
There should not be an ordinary day of my life. I should wake up expecting, God, you're going to do something radical today, and I am ready for it. Bring it. Please, God, do something amazing today. And and if we're walking, if every day we're getting up just saying, another day at work, i got to get to 5 o'clock, and and then I'll go hang out with friends, or i got a vacation coming in six months, or if that's your life, come on. Let's raise the bar. Let's be people of faith that see amazing things happen in the city of San Francisco because we believe God is who he says he is. Let's have joy like Anna. I, I don't know what your story is, but I've heard a lot, and I know there's pain and brokenness. I know there's promises that have been broken. I, I know there's hope that you've, you've let go of. There's dreams that you stopped believing. Listen, let's have joy like Anna that, that says, in spite of my circumstances, I know who my father is. I know who my father is, and I delight in him because he delights in me. And lastly, church, let's be full of great expectation this year in Christ and in his promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we exalt you, Lord. God, I ask even right now, as we prepare our hearts again to worship you, Lord, that um, you would inhabit the the praises of your people right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would fall and and wash over us just streams of living water that would renew our soul. God, renew our hope. God, we don't want to be a people that just blindly walk through life, giving what the world hands out from one stop to the next. We want to be a church, a people of great expectation. We want to be like Israel in the very beginning, the faith of Abraham, alive, God, uh, hope and and faith and, and expectation alive in us, God. Renew that. Renew that hope in us, Jesus. We love you, God. You are our only hope of glory, Lord. We repent where we have elevated good things into God things in our life, God, where we have uh, set you aside to, to try to grasp um, our goals, Lord, our self-driven, self-focused goals, Lord. Forgive us and renew us, transform us, that we would be a people of great faith, God. And as we believe you're going to do things, Lord, I pray day by day, that you just continue to confirm what you're doing in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.